Well, hey, if you're watching online, I didn't greet you this morning like I normally do, and I want to do that. Welcome. We are so glad that you are here and joining us. I already said hello on the, uh, the live feed, but just wanted to say hello again. We are starting a new series called More Than Just a Code. It is a study of Joseph, the son of Jacob. And today we're going to look at the fault and favoritism. The fault and favoritism. Now, Throughout human history, if we look at people, so often they're defined by a singular moment or thing, right? They're defined by, by one thing that they did or one thing that happened to them. When we look at Joseph, if you know the story of Joseph, the one thing that you know about him is that he had a pretty coat, right? You remember coat. If you're like me when you were little, you mixed up him and Daniel. Daniel had the coat, Joseph had the lines, then you spent years trying to fix that, even when you were working on this sermon this week. Why it's in my mind that way, I'll never know, right? But if you ask people if they know about Joseph, they usually say the one with the coat. Now, we remember the coat of many colors uh, being put on the felt board when we were little kids. We maybe even remember the amazing Technicolor coat worn by Donny Osmond as he belts any dream will do. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that, and I will tell you that you are the ones that are blessed. You are way better for it. Now, Joseph doesn't only have a great story, but his story is filled with many ups and many downs, heartache and joy and lessons to be learned. And so today we're going to find ourselves, like I said, in Genesis 37, which is the introduction of Joseph's story. The majority of his story, uh, the good chunk of it, everything that's really meaty about his story happens in Genesis from 37 to 50. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some different chapters, some different milestones in Joseph's life and, and discuss what exactly there is to be learned from that. So in Genesis 37, starting in verse 1, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilal, Bilhal, Bilha. yeah, Bible names are fun, and the sons of Zilpah, the fa his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, there's something fishy going on here right from the start. At first, we don't really think anything of it if you're just reading through it. But here is Joseph at 17 years old, the youngest of all of his brothers, delivering a report to his father about the work that his brothers were doing in the field. And in and of itself, the report was not a good one. What does that tell us about Joseph? Well, first it tells us that Joseph is a snitch. And snitches get stitches, right? <laughs> And we'll see that come to fruition. I'm only kidding about that. But what it actually tells us is this, that Joseph is in charge. Joseph, the youngest of all his brothers in a patriarchal society who looked at the eldest brother as the one to receive the father's rights, to receive the father's blessing. Joseph here at 17 was in charge of his brothers in the field. That did not, as you can imagine, sit well with him. But the fact of the matter is, he did not get there by himself. It's not just that like one day Joseph woke up and all of a sudden was like, let's put the youngest one of us in charge. He seems level-headed. Everything's great with Joseph. No, he was his father's favorite. His standing was a result of favoritism. Joseph is his daddy's favorite. Now, I know a little bit about what that's like because as my siblings will tell you, I'm my daddy's favorite. Uh, but that has changed even recently because... My niece, young Maggie, has by far become the apple of her Abu's eye. But Joseph is daddy's favorite. 
Now, the problem with favoritism is that it sets up its object for failure. It sets up its object for failure. The first reason is that it gives a person unrealistic expectations. You see, not everything in life is going to be so easy for them. They're not always going to be the apple of everyone's eye. They're not always going to be placed in positions to be successful without having earned them. As the saying goes, if you, for, if you feed bears, they'll forget how to feed themselves, right? And so here it goes. If you put people in places of, of success, if you put people in places of leadership and there was nothing done to earn those positions, they start to think that that's just how life goes. And the minute that somebody pushes against that, the minute that things don't go their way, they look to blame everyone else. I'm not succeeding because they have it out for me. I wasn't successful in this instance because they just don't like me. And it prevents people from being self-reflective. It prevents people from looking inside. They've always been the best. They've always been the favorite. So why now is that not happening for them? The second thing that happens is it causes others to resent them. When you show favoritism to a person, it is natural that other people start to resent that person, right? Everybody's been in that situation. Most likely, we probably connect that to work, where there's somebody, for whatever reason, has won the favor of the boss, and they keep getting put in these positions where they're being set up to succeed, and they're being given authority, and everyone else is looking at them like, how in the world did that happen? And the only logical outcome from there is resentment. Now we start to resent that person because I've been working my tail off, and they're getting the favor. They're getting that position. If we look at uh, Genesis 37, 3-4, through 4, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that, their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. See, I have proof about what I just said. And so here are his brothers looking at Joseph. He's already been placed in charge of them in the field. He's already been given a position that he didn't earn, that he doesn't deserve. And he's clearly being favorited by his father. He's been gifted this beautiful, lovely robe. And, and no one else got a robe. No one else even got a hand-me-down. No one else got the dad's old tunic or his old work sandals or I'm assuming they had work sandals. I could be wrong. I don't have any biblical proof for that. But when you see somebody who's been given something that they haven't earned and they don't have a right to, you resent them. And maybe what happens after that is you take their pretty coat and you cover it in lamb's blood and then you sell them to a foreign people so they never see their family again if you're feeling cute. And that's exactly what we see happen to Joseph. And the third thing that happens is it causes others to start stop caring. When you show favoritism to one individual over a group of other individuals who should all be on an evil, evil, it is evil to show favoritism, even playing field. What happens is that the other people stop caring. You've ruined the atmosphere. You've killed others' motivation to do good. And so it's no wonder that the brothers weren't performing well out in the field. Why would they? What did they have to work for? They were out there previously working really hard for their father, 
doing their best, seeking his approval, seeking his love. And here comes the youngest brother along, getting the robe, getting the power. And as we will see shortly, lording it over them. Nothing says that what I do doesn't matter more than seeing another person benefit from the fruits of your labor. And so what does that teach us? Obviously, uh, we have been in this position, probably that his brothers have been in, but maybe occasionally we found ourselves being Joseph as well. Or maybe we are in the position of Jacob and we're the ones showing the favoritism. When we see stories like this, we have to guard against this happening in our lives. We need to make sure that we're treating others fairly with the same amount of love and the same amount of respect and the same scale of judgment. So as we continue in our story and we look at Genesis 37, 5 through 10, it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. You see, he's just building this hatred up. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. See, what's happening right now, what Jacob is realizing is that he may be created a little bit of a monster. If you know the story of Joseph, you know that these dreams come to fruition. They come to fruition in a way that can only happen because God was working in his life. But the spirit in which Joseph told these stories, the spirit in which Joseph shared his dreams wasn't of one that was caring. There was no compassion. It was all about, look at me. I'll continue to be exalted. You will all bow down to me. And the lesson that we learn here is that sometimes knowing what not to say is just as important as knowing what to say. See, humility is the greatest gift that one can provide to themselves. Humility is the greatest gift that you can provide to yourself. If we look in Proverbs 22, 4, it says that humility is the fear of the Lord. Some translations would tell you that humility is the respect of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Proverbs 3, 34 says he mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. C.S. Lewis has a quote that says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. But if we're honest, amen, Ellie. If we're honest, 
If we think about Joseph's story, how could we have ever expected him, favored son of Jacob, who has had everything handed to him, who has been placed ahead of his brothers, how could we have ever expected him to remain humble? Because the one thing I know about humility is that it is a learned skill. It's something that's taught. If you need proof, just have little kids. We took our girls to the zoo the other day, and Winifred is taking off running. She just takes off sprinting. And I'm kind of doing my fat man jog to keep up next to her. And I just hear her go, Dad, I'm fast. And I was like, yes, you are, baby. You're fast. And then to no one, she goes, she's walking. She's looking at animals. She says it to no one, like really fast. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. We're going to we're gonna have to take that back a notch, right? It's something you have to teach your children. Listen, you can be really great at something, and it's okay to be good at something. It's okay to be confident in yourself. But maybe we don't tell everyone else that we're super good at something. Maybe we let them tell you that you're really good at it, and then you just say thank you. Humility is a learned skill. It's something that we have to teach ourselves. It's something that we have to practice. And if we don't practice it, then we become disliked. That's just frankly, what happens? And it's exactly what happened to Joseph. And if we can't humble ourselves, life, God, has oftentimes a funny way of doing it for us. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. In Genesis 37, 19, 19 and 20, his brothers say, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. If we look at the story of Joseph, uh, if it continues, what you're going to find out if you would continue to read in 37 is that his brothers actually don't kill him. Okay? They sell him into slavery. They sell him to a foreign people group who carry him off to a foreign land. We'll talk more about that story because it's in the upcoming weeks, but they don't actually murder him, but they, they take the life that he has, the life that has been built for him, and they completely remove it from him. And they convince their dad that he was attacked and murdered by some wild animal. They cover his robe in blood, like I said earlier, and they present it to his father and pretend that their hearts are heavy at what has taken place. And their father is distraught, and he's heartbroken, and he should be because he lost a son. But the fact of the matter is that the father, Jacob, also known as Israel, is also at fault because he hasn't learned from his life. One of the things that we can take away from this story is that we have to let past mistakes be past mistakes. We have to let past mistakes be past mistakes. Mistakes happen, they come. We will not always be perfect. But in the future, when those chances arise for us to repeat those mistakes, we have to pass them by. We have to learn from what it is that's happened and say, I'm not going to let this happen again. And unfortunately for Jacob, he didn't do that. You see, because his story and, and his son's story, there, there's a lot of parallels there. We can't erase our past no matter how hard we try. You know, Christ can erase the sin. God can erase the guilt. 
But the memory of our previous actions, it stays with us. And the reason that I think that that is the case is because we are meant to grow and to learn from those things. We need to learn from those times where things haven't gone our way so that we can make ourselves better human beings, better friends, better boyfriends, girlfriends, better husbands, wives, better coworkers. What happens when we don't is that we just end up looking foolish and we let the cycle of pain continue to permeate in our lives. See, Jacob should have learned from his past because he knows firsthand the dangers of favoritism. You see, Jacob was the favorite of his mother, Rebekah. She favored him over her son Esau. And Esau was the older brother. And as their father was dying, as Isaac was dying, he was supposed to pass on his blessing to Esau. But Rebekah came up with this, frankly, evil plan that showed her favoritism for Jacob. And they fooled the father and they put these sheepskins on his arms so that he felt like a hairy man because Esau apparently was furry like animal. And they stole his brother's blessing. And you know what happened when he stole his brother's blessing? He was driven into a foreign land. And his family was broken. His father died in distress. And his brother hated him and wanted to kill him. And he had to flee and he had to run away. And he should have seen this coming. He should have known what not to do. And yet he did it anyways. He repeated the cycle. So many of us in life have been a part of a hurtful cycle. Whether that be a cycle of divorce, that be a cycle of abuse, that be a cycle of grudges. Each of you has your own story. Each of you know, if you look at that backstory, what has kind of continued to travel down your family line. We have to let those past mistakes be past mistakes. We have to overcome those things. We have to learn from them. We have to fight past them. Understanding that the people who have made those mistakes before us, if they truly love us, if they truly care about us, our family, they're going to want us to not make those mistakes as we go forward. And we have got to do our very best to make sure that that is the case. Jacob's family, at least for a time, as we'll see, was broken. His heart was broken. It all started with favoritism. If you want to damage any relationship, if you want to break down the binds of any group, allow favoritism to find itself in your ranks and to swell. And you will quickly see how relationships will dissolve. The fact of the matter is it didn't have to be that way. Don't pick favorites. Choose your words carefully. Know when you shouldn't speak. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean that it has to be heard. Doesn't mean that it's valuable for everyone to hear. And learn from your past 
mistakes. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now, and I thank you for this day. I thank you for the story of Joseph. Lord, so often we lose sight of the lessons that can be learned from life because we just focus on a singular event or a singular happening. And as we'll see in Joseph's story, past mistakes don't have to be our future ones as as it carries on. And, And we don't have to be defined by our past. We don't have to have our lives determined by things that have happened in our past. God, help us to be people who are committed to strong relationships, relationships that are built off of mutual trust, relationships that are built off of each other's character and help us to hold everyone to the same standard, to not be people who are walking around picking favorites and pushing others away because of it. Lord, it's so hard in a society that teaches us that our opinion matters as much as anyone else's to not speak at times. We want to be justified. We want to be heard. But Lord, so often our words do nothing but bring hurt and cause pain. Sometimes we speak and we shouldn't. God, we're all sinners. We will all sin. We will live lives that unfortunately will be bruised by the sins that we commit and the bad things that we do. Help us to be people who learn from those things. Yes, we must forgive ourselves knowing that we are forgiven. Yes, we have to understand that the weight of that guilt does not rest in us anymore once Christ removes it, once God has justified us. But we still have to learn from those instances so that we don't repeat that hurt and we don't repeat that pain again. The bottom line is, God, that we just have to chase after you. We ask that you give us that desire. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Some of you have something that you need to pray about. I'm going to be standing up here. My desire is to pray with you, to pray for you. If you want to take that directly to God, that is your right. Please come use our stage as an altar. Some of you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you need to have that relationship, and you want to know where to start. You want to know what that even means. By all means, come talk to me. Don't let one second go by without having that conversation. Otherwise, let's just stand and worship. Try to forget about everything else that may be distracting you right now. And let's focus on God.